Hey, if you're an actor at the start of your career, or if you're an actor who hasn't started at all, no judgment. But I do want you to know that it has never been a better time to get started with Backstage. Just go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout for a 30-day free trial. That's 30 whole days you can browse through thousands of casting notices from thousands of filmmakers, producers, casting directors, all looking for talent just like you. Make a profile, upload a headshot, find out what kind of projects you want to be a part of. Backstage is where you book that very first role. It's also where you book that second role, and then that third role, and then you keep booking roles all the way up until you win that Oscar. And then you can come join me here on In the Envelope. We love a full circle moment here at Backstage. But first, you gotta subscribe. And again, that's 30 days free if you use the code word envelope at checkout. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, envelope, 30 days free. Get those roles. And I'll see you back here when I interview you when you win an Oscar. And not wait. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. There's so much empathy sort of involved in the experience. And without people that you love around you that you can really remain thin-skinned with, that you don't have to form a thick skin because I think as a creative person, the most important thing you can do is keep your skin thin and allow these feelings and these experiences to penetrate you and to be able to utilize those for your work. Welcome to another new episode of In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I'm your host. Backstage Senior Editor, Vinny Mancuso, and joining us today is an Oscar winner, BAFTA winner, and just all-around national treasure. It is, of course, Emma Stone. Now, Emma has been entrenched, as you probably know, in the A-list for almost a decade now. Uh, after her breakout in Superbad, of course, uh, she's definitely bounced from early comedies like Easy A, Zombieland, uh, Blockbusters, playing Gwen Stacy in two amazing Spider-Man movies, uh, there's rom-coms, like Crazy Stupid Love. She's an Oscar nominee, thanks to Birdman and The Favorite. She's an Oscar winner because of La La Land in 2017. It's been one heck of a career, and all of it brings us to now, to this award season, this Oscar season, to talk about Poor Things. Poor Things, which is Emma's third collaboration with director Yorgos Lanthimos uh, after The Favorite and the short film Bleat. It's hard to describe. Uh, how to describe poor things? Well, Emma plays Bella Baxter, a recently dead Victorian woman who is resurrected by the, uh, I guess you could call him mad scientist, Godwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, and Bella, who is just this bundle of pure impulse when she's raised from the dead, uh, she meets a rakish lawyer named Duncan Wedderburn, played by Mark Ruffalo. 
and with him, Bella embarks on a worldwide journey to discover herself in every way and definition of what that could mean. It's really an extraordinary performance and an extraordinary movie. And Emma was so wonderful here, diving into the insecurities and all the doubts, and ultimately the triumphs of getting to play Bella, uh, as well as the entire road from the very beginning of her acting career, uh, all the way back in Arizona at the Valley Youth Theater. Everything that led her here in the first place is a great, wide-ranging conversation that includes more Titanic the musical than you'd expect. So let's get right into it. Here is Emma Stone. Emma, you're all set? We're good? I guess I'm good. I'm sorry if I'm in (laughs) full uh, brain fog mode. But other than that... That's totally okay. I was going to ask, how are you doing? I'm sure this is a... uh incredibly busy time uh oscar season straight from a strike you know like i'm sure that your your schedule got full very quickly it's been pretty nuts i have I have a sick household right now so that was uh oh, no. <laughs> that was quite a quite a thing to land to but other than that um it's been, i mean it's also been like a complete and total joy because being away for for all of this and mm. and uh, missing some of those those big things at the beginning like venice and and all of that is it, it's been very very special to all be together again so i'm tired but it's not really something you can complain about that much because like what a what a great reason to be tired absolutely and well i can't thank you enough for being here talking to us about uh poor things uh an incredible incredible movie um i am curious when when you you know come into this sort of cycle of talking about a movie again and again you know sort of sort of <laughs> relitigating it do you ever realize something new about it or you know like realize something about your performance that you maybe didn't notice in the moment but through (laughs) talking and talking and talking about it learning anything new that's a really good question i mean i think yeah i mean a lot of a lot of times I, i feel like things get illuminated to me just by other by either you know journalists or or by the other actors in the film like them talking about certain aspects that they felt or you know because these are all things that we didn't Jorgos really doesn't like to intellectualize while we're mm-hmm. rehearsing or anything so we're not like sitting and discussing what does this mean about this and that whatever and so this is the kind of the the point where people start asking about specifics so yeah I, I definitely start noticing things I guess the, the big thing for me that I realized was in the EPK near the end of shooting I had said that this was the most difficult character I had ever played. And that was two years ago when when we wrapped this. And in the time since, and, and people have asked me about that because that was in like an interview that I had done on set, mm-hmm. I realized that's just not true. Or it is true, but only in the respect that it was difficult because she is the simplest character I've ever played. And I guess like the challenge of of stripping away shame and self-judgment was quote unquote difficult, but really she as a character is so straightforward, so forthright. So, you know, doesn't have backstory. Like there's the only thing that you're really gauging on a daily basis is just evolution. And, and that in the moment, I guess felt difficult, but now looking back, I'm like, no, this was like the most simplest, most joyous character in the world to play. 
that's uh that's one of like my favorite parts about this job i do a lot of research and i'll and i'll say to somebody i'm interviewing like oh I, I saw you say this in whatever you're gonna like i said that <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hell was i on about and then <laughs> was i exhausted when i said that it's very weird when you're especially but that's what's so hard about about those epk interviews that b-roll on set is that you know you're in the middle of the experience mm-hmm. and it's really hard to see anything when you're right in the middle of it absolutely need hindsight well, that is actually a good transition because I this is a, a podcast for actors. We are backstage. We really we, this is a podcast for people who either want to become an actor, early career. Uh, so we do like to you know chart the course of how somebody got to where they were um, yeah. before we talk about uh, poor things. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you got started at the the Value Theater in Arizona. Oh, uh, you are absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> and you started with the the Wind in the Willows. Yes. Is there anything you can remember specifically about getting to act for the first time or, you know, saying a line for the first time, saying getting an audience reaction for the first time? Is there anything you remember about that particularly? Well, so actually, the first thing that I did pre-Wind in the Willows, if you can (laughs) believe it, my career started long before. I was cast in No Turkey for Perky. That was... uh, That was the school play in my elementary school. And uh, it was all fifth graders. And there was a role for one first grader that was um, wow. the little sister of one of the fifth graders. And uh, and I, my teacher, I think suggested me because I was so loud and <laughs> such a performer at heart um, when I was, you know, six, seven and so I, I did No Turkey for Perky, and I really vividly remember. I mean, it was a kind of an embarrassment of riches there because it's the Absolutely. older kids, which is so cool. You're with all older kids. So I remember just really trying to mimic the girl playing my older sister. I thought she was the coolest. And going on stage for the first time, it was, I mean, you know, for a, a sort of performer at heart, the audience reaction, the laughing and it, I mean, the laughing was was like heaven to me. I it, it was so incredible. And then the next year, I started having um, panic attacks, and so I had really intense kind of anxiety disorder as a as a kid, and and a lot of panic attacks. And I was very uh, stuck at home for for a couple of years. I I mean, I went to school and everything, but I was really struggling and. I started doing therapy as a kid and and worked through a lot of that. And then I remember, I think, I don't know if it, if it kind of dawned on me or if I was watching a lot of movies. I know I was watching a lot of movies, but I do remember saying to my mom in the most you know dramatic sense possible, I remembered how, how joyous it was being in Notre Dame for Perky. And I was like, if I don't get to act, I will die. I will die were the words which you can't be more of an actor than to say you'll <laughs> die if you can't act. If, if I can't feel what Turkey... I'm sure, a lot, of, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening know that, know that feeling, which is how I, I think you do know you're an actor. It feels so dramatic, the idea that you wouldn't get to do it, really. Um, it really mm-hmm. solidifies really solidifies the pain that you're in for as an actor. is worth it, you know? But Absolutely. I asked if I could, you know, audition for for Valley Youth Theater and and my mom was really kind of reticent because it was really far away from our house and 
But eventually she was like, okay, okay, I hear you. And, you know, I guess it's just good that my deeply anxious daughter wants to do something <laughs> like this. It's like, I mean, I've always used the analogy. It's like a shy kid joining the debate team, you know, uh-huh. the anxious kid joining, doing a play on stage. <laughs> and that was it. And I auditioned for Wind of the Willows and I was in heaven. And it's acting was and continues to be a sort of form of meditation to me. It's obviously different when you're when you're doing it kind of professionally and there's that pressure on you to deliver in a way. But at the same time, it requires you to be present. Like you have no option than to mm-hmm. just think about exactly what's in front of you and what it is you're doing from moment to moment and, and listening and just really staying in your body. And that's what you do when you meditate or that's what you do when you try to get out of anxiety because it's always, you know, the past or the future with anxiety. It's it's very little presence. And so I, I find it very, very soothing, even when it's challenging, even more so kind of now when it's challenging. It's a pretty interesting through line, you know, from this podcast, we talked to so many actors and so many of them were like, I was a shy kid. I, I, the thought of getting on a stage was terrifying. You know, I, the thought of even talking in front of people was terrifying and now they're actors. And there must be something to the idea of like, no, but I, I will say that for me, get talking in front of people, like, a being myself on a stage is is terrible. <laughs> I think there's also that, you know, that play and that kind of um, when you're in someone else, because it doesn't feel like I'm hiding. It feels mm-hmm. like I'm getting to like reveal parts of myself, but I don't have to do it as myself. Yeah. So that that is definitely comforting to me. But no, like debate team or speeches or anything like that, that that all would be completely Podcasts. terrifying to me. Podcast, for instance. <laughs> no, you're easy to talk to. This is very pre- nice. <laughs> appreciate that. I couldn't I couldn't find a ton of evidence that this is true, but I saw that one of the shows you did at Value Theater was Titanic. Uh, oh, yeah. Titanic musical. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was a Titanic musical. <laughs> oh, you know, Jesse Eisenberg and I, our one of our bonding moments i was you know 20 i guess when i met him 19 or 20 and very quickly we realized that we were maybe the only two people that either of us would ever meet that saw titanic the musical on broadway in its very limited run it was yeah. on, on broadway in 1999 maybe 1999. 90, i mean it makes sense why they would do that yeah yeah an incredible criminally underrated musical <laughs> and there was a touring production of it and they gave the set to bob cooper our our artistic director of value theater i was 13 when i did titanic i want to say 14 and uh he they asked him for one dollar <laughs> to give him the set and it was this big tilting stage and it huh. was just the coolest thing and we did it at the herberger theater center which in in phoenix is like an 800 seat theater which is enormous for you know a kid's yeah. theater production and and so uh yeah titanic titanic the musical really great you gotta listen to the soundtrack I, if, if nothing else comes from this conversation people will <laughs> go to the titanic the musical and then yeah. all those years later for leonardo dicaprio to be the person to hand you your oscar is I mean, can you imagine it's such a it's such a i have a i have a framed i have a framed signed headshot he, i mean i don't know that why would he more care about this? I, I, I'm like, I don't even know if he knows this. I, yeah, I don't really know him. So why would he know this? Um, the, in my house, I have a framed signed headshot of him as Jack and Titanic. Love that. That I wanted a little uh, charity auction when I was like nine years old. So it's pretty cool. 
all these full circle moments. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> during these, really is a thrill. During these sort of, you know, even like the earliest after you you moved to LA, all these earliest experience of acting, were you ever developing a quote unquote process? You know, were, were you becoming cognizant of of doing things again, again? You know, were you developing any techniques, or is that something that has just sort of evolved over time? No, I I, I definitely uh, I've I took some classes when I when I first moved to LA. I was fifteen. Um, this place called the Young Actors Space. So it was in Van Nuys, and I, I would take some some classes. And I worked with, and have still uh, worked with, with uh, kind of an acting coach person on and off. And and there are definitely you know elements that I've that I've tried and applied throughout. But I think I've realized that each kind of experience or or character or story, I have sort of a different process with every single one, you know, like what like Bella and poor things required was different than like easy A, you know, like these things are, uh-huh. and also like as you grow and evolve, things become a little bit more, I don't know, streamlined, I guess just in life that doesn't even have to do with acting. It's just sort of more with your brain or your or your way of doing things. But yeah, I wouldn't say that I have like a specific process by by any means. It just sort of depends on depends on the thing. With something like that, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that does does then it become sort of uh, does it involve a lot of trust that it will come? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. This time it will work again. Yeah, I trust. Yeah, trust I guess is is but it doesn't stop you from every single time going like i have no idea how the fuck to do this anymore like i i completely yeah. lost it i don't know you know you can be like i haven't done this for a year or i haven't done this for a day <laughs> i forgot how to do it in the meantime mm-hmm. but i think that's also the, the beauty of you know this this job or just a, you know a creative job in general is that because i obviously as as i told you have an anxious sort of disposition and which you know falls hand in hand with wanting if something is measurable like if there is a yardstick mm-hmm. i want to i want that to be you know if 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 i can get an a in the class even if i hate the class and it means nothing to me i i have to get that a you know because it's like a whatever a brain glitch and so this isn't measurable that's why things like awards and stuff are so kind of you know they're beautiful but they're also like but that's, you know, it's all subjective. It's like there really is no there's no measuring stick, which is the best part about this job is that you you kind of can't do it right. Mm-hmm. So I try to remind myself of that on sort of a daily basis while I'm working that there is no like right way to do this. It's just what happens. And then also because you're human, you're going to have good days and bad days or days that you didn't get much sleep. And yet the scene that you're doing is going to last forever because that was the day you had to shoot that scene. And so mm-hmm. there, I remember, you know, in, in earlier projects I did, I was like, well, fuck, you know, I didn't sleep last night. And I feel crazy. And I, and I did, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing the scene wrong. And now that's going to mess up this scene. So all the scenes that go after it are going to be messed up because this one I didn't do right. And then I had to sort of let that go and go, you're playing a person like, you are a person. You're not a robot. So uh-huh. you kind of have to start letting go of that, you know, whatever thing that you do to yourself, or at, least, at least for me. I mean, maybe other people have a have a better relationship to that. But 
I just made myself crazy with thinking that there was any right way to do it. It's that interesting thing of like, if you gave a script to you know, four different actors, you'd get four different performances because it's, it's, it's what they are bringing to it. There's no, yeah. it's not like, oh, you did all the math correctly and now the role is right. Exactly. And that's, but that's so amazing. And that was also, you know, when I was, when I was auditioning a lot, that was when I finally came into that, that sort of piece of, mm-hmm. okay, I didn't get this part. Why? You know, what did I do? And then realizing exactly what you're saying. Well, everybody's doing it in their own, but they're, everybody's looking for something different. There's all these factors at play that doesn't actually have to be personal. It's kind of just like, what was the right fit in that moment? And then you start to sort of see how these things come together in a way that's like, oh, this was meant to be this person's or, and this one was meant to be mine. And then that, you know, and then it switches. And what I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Sorry, but. <laughs> no, it totally makes sense because like I, one of our like backstage staple questions is, is like, what, what advice would you give your younger self? And I would say like eight out of 10 people say like, if you don't get a role, don't take it personal. It's not, you didn't do something wrong. <laughs> you didn't, right. it is not a personal failing because you did not get a job. Yes. And one of the things that I had a little brain switch about, I remember, was because auditioning was such a killer for me. Again, that yardstick thing and auditioning feels like a test. And so the like test element sort of sinks in. And I remember I I talked to a couple of actors about it because I was really getting like pretty shut down and kind of numbed out in auditions because of that sort of streak of, of wanting to do it quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm. And I remember flipping into, this is my chance to play the part. This might be the only chance I ever get to play this part. So I'm just going to play the part. Mm-hmm. I'm just to, you know, enjoy it and see what it's like to play the part right now. For me, you know, not, not for them, not to show them I can do it, but just to, just to actually enjoy what I like to do, which is acting. And I get to play this part for this moment. Maybe it'll work out long-term, who cares? But I have this moment to do it. And that really did, I guess, take maybe a little bit of <laughs> desperation off of me of trying to prove or show. It was sort of like just enjoying it in the room. And and that was um, that was definitely a helpful sort of brain flip for me. And, and it worked. Somehow I tricked myself into that. I love that. Maybe because we're actors and we can trick ourselves into all kinds of things. <laughs> it's like a, perk of, <laughs> a perk and a drawback of the job at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so if you allow me to sort of make the jump from Titanic to now, uh, oh. poor, and doing poor things. Well, there's also scenes on a ship and poor things. So this is the same <laughs> I was going to say, did you, did you draw on a lot of your Titanic experience with poor things? <laughs> um, I really, I really can't stress enough how much I, I, I loved this movie. Um, I don't know if you, you can see it, but I have the Bride of Frankenstein, uh, tattooed on my arm. Wait, um, let me I, see. I wasn't ever Whoa. sure. Yeah, I was never sure if we were going to get, you know, something that felt like that, but as revolutionary as that was. So to watch something like this, that, that, you know, it has all of the, it's obviously based on a book and it's inspired by those old Universal movies, but it feels like something I've also never seen before. Are you going to get Bella Baxter on your other arm? I have, I have empty space. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've drummed, it's, it's a possibility. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's it was really, and I I saw this at like a ten a.m. screening, which is a wild time. Whoa, to watch the, that's a to watch weird this. time to watch this movie. <laughs> I, I think the rep, you know, they they. Um, what are your thoughts? And I was like, well, <laughs> that I was need a, some coffee. A wild and I will morning. Get it's not noon yet, uh, but I, I it, this was it's truly something like like nothing I've seen before. So I guess my my first question about it is, I heard that there was quite an extensive, or not extensive, but there was a, a rehearsal period. And something that Yorgos likes to do a lot is just sort of do theater games. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what exactly that entailed. Like, was this Viola Spolin? Was this improv? Was it, was it a mix of things? Or is this just stuff that, you know, Yorgos was kind of making up? I think it's things that he just makes up, honestly. <laughs> and it's sort of, I mean, the biggest thing that it, the purpose that it serves, um, and it really does this very well, is to make us all feel very very close and like there is no embarrassment around each other and we can just be almost like a theater company you know mm-hmm. feels like we've known each other for much longer than we have by the end of those three weeks and that was the case on the favorite where we did this as well and and it was certainly the case on poor things so i mean it's it's really really silly stuff it's like everybody's going to walk around, you know, and, and you're just sort of orchestrating the whole thing. So it's like, everyone's going to close or we've got two chairs and there's eight of you, you know? And so two of you are on chair duty. And then the <laughs> other six of you are going to walk around with your eyes closed and you're not going to open your eyes. And then at one point, you're just going to sit. You're just going to start sitting, sitting, sitting. And someone's going to, you have to run and get the chair underneath them before they fall to the ground. And th- so that's like one. And then... <laughs> You know, then there's log rolls where someone's rolling on the ground like a log and we have to jump over them while we're saying our our lines in a really kind of monotone way and then keep going and keep rolling on the ground. Or we're all like a human noodle that's holding hands and twisting all around each other while we're saying phrases. And so there's no kind of literal rehearsal process in terms of blocking or doing the scenes the way that they will sound on the day. But Throughout that three-week process, we've we've said all of our dialogue a bunch of times and kind of gotten it into us, and we've gotten really close with each other. And so by the time we're on set, it's like you're doing this with your with your best friends, and you can just sort of experiment and have fun and kind of live in that space in a different way than if you were just showing up for the first time. Like, hi, nice to meet you. Okay, Willem, you're a mad scientist, <laughs> not your quasi daughter, and you know. I guess let's let's fake it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really it's a really special process. And the other day we were we were in London and we were doing press and it was Willem and Mark and Rami and I together at dinner and my my friend was there and he's in the other room and he was like, Now I understand what Yorgos does because you guys are so annoying together. We're just like <laughs> all over each other and just like, I love you and what's going on? You know, we're just crazy together and um and it really does sort of lend itself to that, you know, that the acting process of becoming comfortable enough to be annoying together, which is, you know, yeah. when you lock people in a room, that's kind of what making a movie is. Like it's just yeah. a lot. And when you don't really know each other, it's kind of like you're dancing around each other. You're trying to get to know each other's process and all of that. And, and you know, three weeks of really spending all this time together, going to dinners together, all of that is it really does something for actors. And it reminds me of like when when I was at Valley Youth Theater and, you know, mm-hmm. all us kids were together. And by the end, you're like best friends with everybody and you're sharing dressing rooms and you're like it they, it really becomes a pivotal part of your life to be around these other actors. And 
and to feel safe with them. And it feels like you can really do fun stuff based on that. Do you remember what the the very first shot you shot was as Bella Baxter? Yes. What was was your introduction? (laughs) That's how that sounds like like you can. (laughs) Well, so the hardest part for me always is the is the first week mm-hmm. of anything because you know you can think about all these things or plan out all these things and then you actually have to you know put the like proverbial pen to paper or performance to camera mm-hmm. and uh and it's always terrifying for me and so Yorgos did this thing where he he did a a sort of fake two camera test days mm-hmm. the last week of our rehearsals the Thursday and Friday we're supposed to start sh- start shooting on Monday he filmed our camera test and we were going to do the scenes, but just for fun, you know? And then if they were okay, maybe they'd be in the movie, which one of the scenes is in the movie from the camera test is. Interesting. And so the first thing we did was Bella at the piano, which is the first, you know, shot of the movie of, of her playing the piano. And we did that at the camera test day for a long time. And then we did it again on Monday because he was like, that's not making it in. And so we <laughs> did it again on Monday. And I was just like, oh, God. And right after that that piano scene, I just cried. I was like, I have no idea if this is in any way workable and where Mm -hmm. we're going from here, Uh, no matter how much we talked about it or, you know, I I tried to figure it out. It was just I just sort of needed to start doing it rather than thinking about it. And so that was, yeah, the piano. That's interesting. It's it's, it's so interesting because, you know, when we first meet the character and it sounds like you sort of started at the beginning she is just sort of impulses she's she's sort of a bouquet of impulses you know it's it's just it's yeah i'm curious you know as an actor that's kind of the best version of that you know just sort of going with what the impulse is in the moment so i'm curious you know we talked a little bit about this idea of trusting yourself trusting the process yeah. how you get comfortable enough with the character yourself the environment to trust that an impulse is going to work without, you know, stopping and being like, well, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? That was the thing is like, in that circumstance, because Bella, which is really dissimilar to any character I've ever played, you know, when I think when I've played a character that which any, most adults are, has a backstory, has, you know, life experience, mm-hmm. has all these things, you're sort of adding to the character. And here it's about stripping away as much as possible, taking away shame, taking away self-judgment, judgment of the outer world, you know, just remaining completely open. And so to actually live in that and do that for the first time means that you you really can't have this sort of self-criticism that's just sort of normal to people of like you're sort of watching yourself or you, you know, in those in those moments, at least for me, especially in the in the beginning of a shoot, it's really hard not to sort of judge what it is I'm doing and then eventually sort of start to let go and feel, you know, better in the experience and and start to trust my impulses a little bit more. So the scenes at the beginning are always hard, but this was, like you're saying, all impulses. Mm-hmm. And then my job was to let go of all self-judgment, all shame. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> oh no. Like this, now I'm just locking up and turning into, you know, and but that that was the beauty of working with with Yorgos because we know each other so well, you know, and, and we had made the favorite together and we had made a short film together already. And he is a person I can kind of cry to and say, like, I'm really, you know, locking up. And we have such a shorthand where he's just like, stop it. It's fine. <laughs> let go. 
it's okay, you know? And so, which doesn't sound like it would be calming, but it actually is. And then, yeah, and then and then being around these other actors that I love, once you kind of have that, that feeling of support, it, it's easier to trust the impulses. But I honestly don't know how anyone in a vacuum can just, you know, free themselves enough. I think that the kind of community at least for me as an actor, the community around you, you know, the the person, the filmmaker that you're working with, the other actors that you're working with, that support system is so crucial. Uh-huh. And it is, it's that theater company mentality, like that, that feeling of, of everyone's lifting each other up. It's, is, is huge. Absolutely. Um, I know we've sort of discussed, you know, not <laughs> throwing somebody else's quote back at them because who knows what mindset you're <laughs> in. But I have I have seen you say one of your favorite films, if not your favorite film, is uh, City Lights. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, there's so much old timey physicality to this role. I'm wondering how much of your physicality, especially in this role, is sort of inspired by uh, silent film, silent comedy. I, You know, it's interesting because we, yours and I kind of made sure very very much to not actually look at any references mm-hmm. for Bella. I mean, I, I'd originally looked at, you know, like videos of toddlers walking, but it's so, this is such a metaphor. This is such a fantasy that it doesn't live in a space that, that is literal in any way. And so we didn't watch kind of anything when it came to practicing the physicality. We really just got into a room and put Bella into stages and we were like, this walk feels right. Let's twist it a little bit. Let's go, let's try it on the outsides of your feet. Like, you know, that kind of thing. It was just kind of inventing it and sort of choreographing it as we went. But I do think that, you know, as as a teenager, I got very, very obsessed with Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And I think, and I've also kind of learned, you know, Yorgos is a true borderline psychotic cinephile and so he has so many you know film references and things that he's like if you ever seen this if you watch this check this out blah, blah, blah. i had never watched really much cassavetes or Bunuel when i met him mm-hmm. and now i've seen like all of it and i do think that that stuff kind of seeps into you in a way not that you can do it but just there's little pieces of inspiration so maybe i don't know Maybe there was some inspiration of, I mean, I can never in a million years live up to a Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, but, you know, maybe a, a little physical comedy is somewhere, somewhere deep in somewhere there. Somewhere in there. Like you're pulling from Loving somewhere. those films so much. Absolutely. Are you more of a Buster or a Charlie person? I'm a Charlie. A I'm Charlie. a Charlie, but I love, but I have a, I have a big crush on Buster. Like, I think he's, does. he's like a gorgeous, incredible creature, but Charlie, <laughs> I, he's, he's my guy. He always yeah, will be. That's fair. Do you remember, you know, sort of piggybacking after what we just talked about, do you remember your the, the last shot you shot as Bella Baxter? I know that's often like a pickup or, you know, something like that. But is, is, can, do you remember the the moment where your time as Bella Baxter was over? Yes, it was a pretty depressing one. But it was a, we, we shot me face down in the water with oh, the man no. picking <laughs> <laughs> carrying me out of the water dead oh, um, what a way so to wrap what a way to wrap and i was really really heartbroken because she is my favorite character ever and because we had spent so much time you know putting putting this film together and it was it was really life-changing in, in so many respects i was i was devastated and i was crying all day shooting all of these scenes and then Haley, our first ad who was just unbelievable the most loving gentle first ad (laughs) the job is so hard and usually a first ad is pretty gruff and she is the opposite of gruff 
And she said, so I was like, this is really depressing. You know, this is very sad. She, I'm dead. You know, this is a, a very depressing thing. And she said, this isn't, I was like, what, what a sad thing to do at the end. And she said, this isn't, but this isn't the end. This is the, this is the birth of Bella. <laughs> you know, this having happened is the birth of Bella. So that really, that really reframed my thinking. And I was like, oh, you're right. This is a, a beautiful ending that, you know, symbolizes a, a whole new life of, of this character. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I have also seen you say that you, you know, because of using the set, you know, you had to film like the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie back to back, basically. You you had yeah. to you had to sort of be bell at the beginning, be bell at the end, right after each other. I'm curious, do you think in what way that affected what happens in the middle? You know, if you didn't have to do that, do you think that the performance would be different if you didn't have the beginning the book ends that's a good question i don't i don't know if there's any way to know because we didn't get to do it that way um potentially i mean if anything happened anything could have changed <laughs> back to the like that's not fair. being able to do anything right so to speak so probably but we did the best we could to create these sort of five stages you know these five loose but but helpful stages of, of her development. And so we were doing stage one and stage five at the beginning. And they were what we had sort of, you know, talked about or discussed or, or tried. And then, but, but yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> it's like, you know, the butterfly effect. <laughs> I wish we could do it again. <laughs> let's, let's run it back. Let's um, run it back. We're going to try this again. As we sort of, you know, wrap up here a bit, I am curious because I have to sort of somehow try and tie this up in a bow. I, I think it's well known. You've told the story before about how you, you convinced your parents to delay to become an actor with a, a slideshow or a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering for anyone listening to this, thinking about becoming an actor or, you know, is just sort of trying to, to make a pros and cons list. What should they put on their PowerPoint? What is the the, <laughs> the, the first thing they should well, think of? Listen, I'm not condoning this, this behavior. <laughs> I mean, there were there were. Depends <laughs> how it depends how old you are. Now I was very <laughs> I was a, very young, and this was a very crazy thing to do. But um, I think it depends on on how old you are. It also, you know, I in that moment, I I it's incredibly important to point out that my parents were very supportive that is a rare thing and mm -hmm. i was you know 15 it's pretty crazy to have parents that are like okay let's give this a shot and that was a huge boost in me being able to even attempt to do this at the age that i did and i think that a lot of actors are not in that position where they're where they're feeling the support of their family and like they're you know like okay yeah let's go for it let's let's go do this together and so like I said before, that support system on set is so key. But I learned that because my parents were that support system for me early on emotionally and, and also, of course, financially and going out to L.A. at 15. And so that's it's hard because it's a specific <laughs> situation that I can't be like, oh, this situation will work exactly the same for you, because obviously there's a there was a, a huge amount of, of luck in that. But I would say because of that, it, it's the people around you, the people that you're able to use as a touchstone, the people that you can call, whether it's back at home or in the city, if you if you move to L.A. or New York or, or whatever that is, 
your people are going to save your life. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing as an actor is is playing a person. You have to, there's there's so much empathy sort of involved in the in the experience. And without people that you love around you that you can really remain thin-skinned with, that you don't have to form a thick skin because I think as a creative person, the most important thing you can do is keep your skin thin and allow these feelings and these experiences to penetrate you and to be able to utilize those for your for your work. I think that's just having people that you really trust. So I would say the number one thing to, you know, doing all of this is is the people you surround yourself with and and finding those people and and finding those, you know, avenues that where you feel safe and where you feel like you can break down and and cry and celebrate that can celebrate with you and I'm very lucky to have that system and honestly for, you know, when long periods of time go by where I don't work or whatever, I'm with those people that I love and it feels like okay, maybe I never do this again, but I have I have you and it's it's the best it's the best thing in the world. Amazing. Well, Noah, thank you so much again. Uh, I, I I know that you're very busy, especially right now. And I I, I just want to say thank you for being here. This was wonderful. And poor things really uh, cannot recommend it enough. It's a very special movie. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at InTheEnvelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next to let us know? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.